Welcome to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. My name is Joshua West, and of course, we're here with Gary Wilkerson, president of World Challenge. Glad to have you here, Gary. I see you got uh, some good reading there in front of you. Yeah, I look forward to doing this, uh, continuing our series on the fascinating, life-altering Word of God. But uh, speaking of the life-altering Word of God, um, you handed me the, I was real, real happy to see this, the manuscript to the jaw-dropping beauty of Jesus. Uh, by Joshua West and Gary Wilkerson, a new book that uh, gets its cues from the book of Hebrews. And um, I won't list all the chapters, but Joshua wrote on Jesus as the final word. Uh, speaking of the word, I spoke on chapter two on Jesus Speaks, the incomparable greatness of Christ entering God's rest, Jesus our great high priest, the new covenant, uh, just some amazing things are going to come out of this. I want to uh, only bring it up uh, uh, is, is to really ask people to pray for us. You know, as we um, put the finishing touches on this project, get it to our editors, and then start putting it to the to the publishing house and getting it out to the public. Uh, just pray for us that God would use this book. Um, Josh has written many powerful books. I've written some books, and I some of them I like, some of them I don't like quite as much. Um, <laughs> but this one I love. I really feel like we really touched on the heart of God and uh, Spoke to spoke about God at a very high, with a high view, a very great honor of Him, and yet brought it down home to our own hearts and the things we need. So, uh, be praying for the jaw dropping beauty of Jesus as we uh, continue to move ahead with that project. Thanks, Amen. you you really were the the tip of the spear in helping us get that together. So, thank you, Josh. I'm really really proud to work with you on this. It's uh it's great to write a book together. It's actually the first time I've you know collaborated in that way, yeah, and um, you know I think it'd be hard to do with certain people, even people I respected. So it just seemed real natural to, to write a book with you and even to do ministry with you. So I was uh, real honored that that you wanted to do it together. Yeah, thank you. We're going to do some more together too. And today, what are we doing today? Well, we're going to talk about um, biblical paradoxes and uh, seeming contradictions in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, there are places in the Bible where there are some, um, you know, we got to remember that we're talking about the eternal, all-knowing God, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, who has always been and always will be. And we're trying to see God from, um, you know, how long have you been alive? 60 years, at your place in history, um, with a tiny bit of knowledge and vantage point of life <laughs> right. that we have. And so there are things that are that are hard to perceive about God, you know, uh, things about the Trinity, things about other things. So these would be sort of paradoxes. But there's also seeming, seeming contradictions that I believe that, uh, you know, a real good study of the Bible clears most of these up. Yeah. You know, the idea of uh, some, some places in the Bible where it seems to be God saying something here, but in another place, it might appear he's contradicting himself. Um, but I, I, I believe as we look into him, we'll realize that that there are no contradictions. Yeah. But there are some things, paradoxical things, that maybe are slightly beyond our comprehension. Right. And what would you say is the difference between something that confuses you and a paradox? A paradox is something I think that we're probably, because of our human finiteness, um, completely unable to perceive fully that, you know, God has revealed himself to us so that we could know him, but that doesn't mean we can know him expansively. There, there are questions about God that I have that I don't know that, that, that could be answered. And maybe I, if they could, I, 
I don't know that I could perceive them as a human who lives in linear time for 46 years on the earth. Um, a, a, a contradiction or a seeming contradiction would be something where we, it seems like the Bible teaches one thing one place and teaches something right. a, a, a something different another place, which I will just state from the beginning after studying the Bible for you know a few decades have come to the conclusion that there there are no contradictions in the yeah. Bible, but but there are some places that seem to contradict, and we have to do a little work to to understand why they don't. Yeah, yeah. The, I'll give a couple examples of seeming contradictions. Then maybe you touch on paradox. Give us a couple examples. And uh, this started with me. This this subject concerned me very early on when I was in Sunday school, probably 10, 12 years old, and I'd already had, strangely enough, a little bit of a working knowledge of Scripture and had been taught scripture from my mom particularly and my dad you know here sitting under his sermons so I, so I had a fairly decent for a 10 12 year old and so I remember a Sunday school teacher saying I will give a quarter to anybody in this classroom that can um, name a contradiction in scripture I shot my hand up and I said um, Bible says, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Then Jesus asked Peter to get him a sword. And, <laughs> and she goes, well, that's not really a contradiction. I said, well, one says to have a sword, the other one says doesn't. In my book, that's a contradiction. Right. And she says, well, I'll give you a quarter just because you're so animate about it. <laughs> and then I, I remember doing about, uh, and then I raised my hand again. I said, and, and you know, there's, uh, I had probably four or five things. So that I, maybe I was just a little bit of a troublemaker instigator. <laughs> but I think I've always had that curious mind. Yeah. And I have found for myself, I don't know if you work this way too, I learn the most out of Scripture when I have a problem with it. No doubt. Uh, when, I'm, when, it, when it hits me like, ah. I think that's true in life. Like there's things true. I learned in <laughs> school that I'm very, very sharp. There's things to do with English that I'm very, very sharp about today. And the reason why is because I had a hard time. Mm. I had to work really hard to understand it when I was young. And it was a place where I was corrected. or yeah. And so because of that, the explanation was, you yeah. know, it was like imprinted on me. Yeah. Yeah, there's... You know, approaching scripture like a detective, like, hey, that's, I don't understand that crime or that who, the motive behind it. And I, and you start interviewing and do that. I think that's how we can look at scripture as well. Not not like you're trying to defend it because it doesn't really need it defending right. itself. It's it's true. It's, it's, it is the very word of God. And I, I, and if you don't start from that place, you'll end up in trouble, but uh, you know, so I, that that that's just one little example of a, I think a seeming you, contradiction. I think you can make. A, there's a very important statement to make. There are people that are you know that are critical. They're looking to poke holes in in the truth, and they're no matter what, they're going to be critical. Typically, unregenerate people, but the truly regenerate person who has his heart has you know been changed, his eyes have been opened to the truth about God. There's nothing wrong with asking hard questions about the Bible. Right. Um, the truth can stand up to it, and God is fine with it. You know, for us to, He wants us to yeah. dig in and ask important questions and to really work out our own faith with with fear and trembling to find out who God is. You know, knowing God, who God is, because your dad was David Wilkerson is not going to it's not going to help you right. you know knowing who God is because you've come to know who God is yeah. um, and so th there's nothing uh, heretical or blasphemous about saying man it seems to talk this way here because guess what's about to happen you're about to get deep into God's word and you're going to yeah. probably learn a lot on yeah. the way there I think it's a way that God can use our minds the way our minds are created you know when uh there's a thing that scientists talk about your vision. If you see uh, if you see something you've never seen it before, your brain tries to create an image of that. You know, as we see that in clouds. 
you know, it's not necessarily a car in the cloud, but your brain sees, oh, I see a car. And so when we see something we don't understand, our, our brain goes to fix it. It, it. it wants to fix that thing. And, uh, and we can only do that through the Holy Spirit's leading and right. through a pursuit of truth. Uh, just, just so people don't... Uh, Sometimes I bring up a, something, a seeming contradiction and they go, oh, he never answered what, is, oh, yeah. is that a contradiction in the Bible? So let me just touch on that. <laughs> I, I studied it and I saw this like, Jesus, so the Bible says, he who carries, lives by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus said, bring me a sword. Peter cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus says, see, the Bible's true. Exactly. Yes. You want to live that way or do you want to live this way? I pick up the ear and I put it back on. Yeah. It, was a, it was a sermon. Yes, uh, for sure. And, and so... Okay, it's not a contradiction. It's a glorious reality right. of God's, the fullness of his truth. You, you will live or die by the sword, but I have something greater, actual mercy and healing. And so that's just one example of that. I think, uh, I think one of the, uh, another seeming contradiction that I think we, you know, everybody who's been a Christian has encountered this or thought about it is the idea that, you know, from a glance, from a just a surface glance, it seems that Paul preaches by, uh, you know, salvation by grace through faith, not of works. And then you get to the the book of James and, you know, he basically says, you know, it almost seems like he's preaching works. Yeah. Obviously, um, and I don't mean this to anyone who's ever, you know, struggled with this, like it's super simple because I think we've all probably like said, what does this mean? I think if you have a good, healthy contextual understanding of James and read the whole thing through and yeah. the writings of Paul, it becomes very clear that, that you know, James is realistically um, validating what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 10 and 11, yeah. you know, that we're not saved by works, but a good tree will produce good fruit. We were saved for good works. But I think that's a place where people sometimes get a little hung up. Is it is it is it works or is it um, not works? Yeah. And the answer is yes and yes. Yeah. We are saved by grace, not by works, but we were saved by grace for good works. And we were and saved by the works of Christ. By his, the works of his, Christ. His but, perfections. But what, what James is saying is, although we're not saved by works, if, you're, if your life doesn't bear fruit, uh, that yeah. you're a Christian, if there is no works, if there is no evidence, maybe if you're not saved. I like to I always typically say this because I think it's a just a healthy way to say it. Christianity is not a works-based religion. It's an evidence-based religion. Yeah. You know, we, we, we're not, our works have zero to do with saving us, but they, they do say something about who we are as Christian. If a person's life doesn't change over one, two, three, four, five years, then we, the question might not be, um, you know, have, are they not, are they falling away from God? The question probably is, were they ever really saved? Yeah, that's good. Interesting, you brought up Romans 2. Um, did, did you just No, I said he, uh, Ephesians 2. Ephesians, Ephesians okay, yeah. 2, one, 1 through 11. Okay, and then I, 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 as soon as you went to Paul's, you know, not saved by uh, works, uh, and James seemingly contradicting him, you know, if we're honest, we would say it seems like Paul contradicts himself in Romans right. chapter 2, where he says, uh, verse 6, uh, he will render to each one according to his works to those who practice uh, patience in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. Yeah. It seems very contradictory to me to, <laughs> you're not saved by works, but now he's saying, well, I'll render you each one according to your to your works. But then as you, so that becomes an apparent contradiction. So you could either be turned off by this, which is why this topic of today's podcast is so important. So many young Christians 
and even mature Christians uh, diminish in faith because they get discouraged. Like, ah, I don't know for the, uh, I don't believe, uh, and I'm not sure I can believe in the, 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 how secure the word is as being truthful in all forms and fashions. And you start to doubt and have questions. And not, so it could even lead to, you know, you walking away from your faith. Uh, but as you, if you look at this more closely, because he, you know, he turns into this, you know, none, none can do this, you know. So right. you got to follow the, the follow the forms of what we've been teaching these last few weeks in this series about the fascinating life altering word of God. Is that if you just read that in its own context, you're going to miss that he says no, no Gentiles nor Jew, nobody does not one is righteous, and so he's he's setting up a straw man argument almost like, hey, if you can be righteous, you'll be saved. Yeah, you'll be eternal. anyway. So we can answer. I believe all these contradictions, and there are some that are a little bit tough. I think sure. uh, we'll do one more, and then we'll go on to uh, um, to paradoxes. But uh, what would you say about? I don't know if you studied this or not. I haven't really put a whole lot into it, but um, you know, they they talk about the ending of the Gospels, uh, where you know uh, Mary came first or Peter ran ahead. Uh, have you taken a look at that very much? Or? Oh yeah, you know, I think in most of my. Uh, Systematic. As you get into branches of theology, you boil down to specialties, and mine is, you know, the the systematic theology of the New Testament. And so, yeah, I've definitely studied through those. I think uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but when you look at um, who's writing the Bible and what they're saying, the idea of, especially in the Gospels, when you look at this sort of witness testimony idea of, you know. So we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, who, or sometimes it'll say, you know, a, one person mentioned three people being there, another person mentioned two people being right. there or something like that. I think that if we, if we just take that the way we would take anything else in life, that we would realize that it's, it's not a contradiction. Um, I've heard people explain it this way before. The, the writing and the words of the New Testament are given under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But there is also a human element in the writing of Matthew and a human element in the writing of Mark. And so it'd be, this may not answer this specific one exactly right, if not challenge me more, but it'd be like if me and you, you know, witnessed a car accident right. and the policeman came up to you and he came up to me um, and we're both being honest and we're both telling the truth. Um, you may mention some things I didn't mention. You may have noticed something but those things aren't playing into the credibility of our witness statement one way or the other. You may not even mention that there was a baby in the backseat. You may just say, hey, yeah, there was two people. as a husband and wife. He got out of the car first. Seemed like he caused the accident. And the other person, there was one person in the car. I might say, yeah, there were three people. And the husband got out of the car first. There was a baby in the backseat. And the wife got out of the car second. Thank you for watching and listening to the Gary Wilkerson podcast. Joshua and I really appreciate the opportunity to minister to you. If you've been blessed by this, encouraged in the Lord, I would love for you to prayerfully consider generously giving to help support this ministry. You can go to worldchallenge.org and you'll find a donate button right there on the homepage. God bless. Thanks. So I think when, when you start talking about, especially a narrative or witness sort of statements, any of the gospel ones are very easily resolved. There is no, there, in my opinion, there is no apparent contradiction other than a place where a, a recounting of an instance. But to me, that does, does not negate from the trustworthiness or the inspiration of the scripture in any shape, form, or fashion. Yeah, just as long as you don't witness the baby getting out of the car first. Right. That would be, you'd right. probably be like, okay, that's not. <laughs> or the, or the, the, you know, there was no car accident. Yeah, right. Yeah. So <laughs> then, then, then you're having a contradiction. There was no car accident. 
accident, there was a car accident. You know, we're sitting here in my house, and if and if you look out the window and my and uh, and you see my wife drive up, you would your eyewitness would be. I saw your wife drive the car through the driveway. I didn't see that. I saw her coming through the door of the garage. I say, I saw her coming through the garage. Same story, same, and we're both telling truth, but we are both eyewitnesses. And that's what the, the uh, apostles say about their own writings. We were right. an eyewitness of these things. We touched it. We handled the, the word of truth to us. And so, yeah, so I, I really do believe, unlike, uh, you know, some other religions, um, you know, there's so many holes in kind of the Joseph Smith story and, right. uh, you know, the, the Mohammedan stories are just, you know, extremely contradictory that, uh, you know, that, and I think it's clear that the Bible doesn't have those. So uh, can we move on to the paradoxes? Uh, help, help me. So, so a paradox, uh, say that one more time. What is it? What is a paradox? A paradox really is something that, you know, uh, paradoxical doesn't mean contradictory. It just means that it really is unexplainable or hard to understand. Like for me, I would give you an example of a paradox. I think I said at the beginning would be that of the Trinity. So in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it talks about the God of Israel is one. There is only one God. You will have no other gods before me in this sort of language. And then we see in the New Testament, and even though there is Trinitarian language in the Old Testament, but you see this sort of, you know, just a lot of talking about the the monotheistic view, the one God, there is no other God, all other gods are idols. And then we see the the introduction of, of the Son of God and a lot more um, language about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the language of the Spirit of God is used much different in the Old Testament. And so there 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 has this this idea of um, a lot more language being attributed to God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father. And so, you know, the reason it's a paradox is because from what we see in the Scripture, that God is one. Mm-hmm. And so the idea for us to understand one God that is that is shown to us or revealed to us in three unique persons, um, that's, you have, that has to qualify as a paradox because it's outside of our a frame of reference that we can understand. There's many other things that God can explain to us in the Bible that we have a frame of reference. Yeah. Um, and even though they're, we, they don't fully explain it, like the relationship of God the Father and God the Son, the only begotten Son, we have a frame of reference to understand that. That doesn't mean we fully understand it because um, their relationship of Father and Son being the eternal Father and the eternal Son and the eternal Spirit is not the same as your relationship with Elliot or Evan or Ashley or yeah. you know uh, your your daughter. It's not. It's not uh, Annie. So her name escaped me for a second. Um, it's not the same thing uh, because they both were always there. But but there's a frame of reference. The idea of a Trinitarian God, um, one God, you know, that it's revealed in three persons, is something that's paradoxical because there is no frame of reference. There is no there is no way to explain it other than with what we have available to us. And that's why we explain it the way we do, carefully and concisely. Um, and so, you know, a paradoxical error would be what, you know, Pentecostal oneness people mm-hmm. do. So for them, they can't live with the fact that they don't, that the Bible clearly is revealing three persons who are all God and one God in the Old Testament. So what they do with it is they say, well, there is only one God, and he manifests himself throughout history in different forms, which does 
utter damage to, you know, is God schizophrenic when he's talking to himself on the cross <laughs> right. is, is, you know, what do we do with the passage where all three are present, where the father spoke, this is my son who I'm well pleased and the spirit descended on him like a dove. Yeah. What do we do with all this stuff? Um, That's a good point. What, what biblical Christianity does is we live in the ministry of the paradox, knowing that it's true because the Bible says it is. And this isn't accepting a contradiction. Contradiction would be saying that God, you know, it says that God was born in one place in the Bible and then another place it says that God is eternal. That would be a contradiction. Right. And that would be something that would, you know, would shed negative light on the Scripture. There is nothing like that in the Scripture. Wow. Yeah, I like that. That's a good insight. Uh, the other one that comes to mind for me is the <clears throat> big word here, hypostatic union. Uh, the, Definitely. The, the, the divine nature of Christ, that he's fully God and fully man. Um, you know, that's not something easily <laughs> our mind wrapped around us. And, no doubt. And sometimes if you ask deeper questions about how that actually works, you know, we just kind of <clears throat> have to say it's it's somewhat beyond us, but it, and then in some ways it's not. It, it actually, I think the Bible brings enough reality to it to where we don't have to take a blind leap of faith. Right. We can actually see God, you know, choosing to enter into flesh and fully entering into that flesh, but yet letting that flesh of man being fully man. A great way to say, to explain the hypostatic union is that, that Christ emptied himself by addition. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he added a human, the a fully human uh, self to his, he's 100% God. Yeah. He's 100% man. So he, he emptied himself or divested himself yeah. by addition, which is very bizarre. You know, one thing you said that made brought a thought to my mind, though. It's interesting because we can't cop out and say, well, they're just, it's beyond us to know. No, he he revealed it to us for us to know it. We just can't explain that because there's nothing else like it. There is no other ex, no other example of the hypostatic union. There is no other, and most of the time, these things are things that are uh, connected to or deeply in relation to the character of the eternal God. Amen. Amen. Those, those are some good things. And and if we get them wrong, uh, again, like you said earlier, we do damage to the Trinity or to the, if we only see Christ as human, then God didn't, you know, the perfect God himself dying for our sins. It's We, we don't have the divine nature sacrificing, or if it's all God, then man, he, he couldn't correct uh, the Adamic sin nature that we're under. So it not only is it real and understandable it's it's uh, life altering if yeah. you know if if we know some of these paradoxes i've been trying to and i haven't been able to yet and i, I doubt i will ever be able to but just as a little bit of a rabbit trail here i would love to take some of these paradoxes that we have agreed on throughout church history and any good solid theology would bear witness to the trinity and the hypostatic union the dual nature of christ I would, I would love to, and I can't do it, but work out some of the other things that seem to be quagmires a little bit. So how could, you know, half the church be totally Armenian, uh, believing free will, our choice of faith, affects the, uh, accomplishes the effect of the work of the cross in our life with a Calvinist or a Reformed who says uh, Christ elects that person you know, I've always wanted to try to marry those two together, and my brain's about to explode to try to do that. But, you know, I just wonder, you know, could there be something like that? And I'm not trying to answer it here today. Sure. But just, just you know, there's things like that that sometimes uh, my my curious mind begins to wonder, you know, could, could God elect some 
and then allow others to free will. I'm not saying that, but sure. believing that, but just, totally. you know, can, can God do some things that are bigger than our understanding? You know, and there are a few people that I think Chuck Smith, the uh, founder of Calvary Chapel, uh, kind of did that a little bit with Calvinism and Armenianism. Yeah. Uh, tried to marry the two together. There's some tough things. That's, that would be tougher probably than the Trinity or I think the, the I think when nature. you look at, to me, this is just a personal um, thought about that particular issue. But I, I think that without getting into one or the other, I think that there's, and this is my humble opinion, that, that God doesn't, that the, there isn't a complete answer in the middle of two things because God, I feel like God is, the nature of scripture wants us to proclaim the gospel. You know, Spurgeon, as he does in many cases, says it better than most. You know, he says, until <laughs> so the true. until the role of the elect is called, I will proclaim the whosoever will gospel. So if we're so focused on that some are elect and some are not, sometimes we get into this mindset that, well, God will sort it out. You know, so what, what are we worried about? When the, when the, the, the sort of, you know, uh, the scripture we see of the apostle Paul is like, no, I've got to get the gospel out. Like, I'm going to die doing this. I've got, they, you know, it's a shame that people in Spain haven't heard Christ's name. Yeah. I'm going to proclaim this. And so just like this apparent uh, urgency that, that the gospel must be proclaimed so people can respond to it. Right. But on the other side of that equation, um, as a believer, we find this surety in the fact that that God is the one who has elected us or chosen us um, and that nothing can snatch us from our hands. And so while I'm not a person who doesn't have an opinion on this or wants to pretend like I'm trying to be neutral, I think it's important that if we if we dive too deep one direction without the other, that we, I, I just think there's there's a, t I, for me, and Spurgeon himself said, if you think that you can reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, um, that either you're insane or you're arrogant. <laughs> wow. That's what he said. He goes, and so for me, I have to live in this tension of knowing that God wants the gospel proclaimed and that people's souls are depending on it yeah. and that God is going to bring in those he's called. And so, you know, friends on the Armenian side will, you know, be like, hey, that didn't sound very good. And I have many Calvinist friends that would be like, you didn't go far enough. Yeah. And uh, and frankly, I don't care. <laughs> right. um, what I what I care about is living in that tension and and trying to be biblically faithful. And so yeah. I think I think that's one of the places where there's there's this mystery, there's this sort of paradox. And when the Bible has called me to obey in both of these both of these realms. And so that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's so important to, you know, certain things you want to hold tightly and other things more loosely. I, I probably would encourage most people to hold a few more things tightly though. Yeah. I, I think there's this laissez-faire attitude in Christendom today. That is, we can hold a lot of things lightly and therefore we don't dig into the mysteries of godliness. Definitely. And when we don't miss Again, uh, you know, I want to come right or wrong, and, and not in an arrogant way, but I do want to land somewhere so that I'm not to pull between two decisions. Me too. Between two, between two opinions, um, and I, and I hold, you know, so I have a reformed theology, but I hold some of that lightly. There's aspects of it that I go like, that's there are some scriptures that seem to pull me away from a concreteness in that one area. Me too, and I'm and I'm and just to be clear, not to interrupt you, but. And I'm not talking about um, being laissez-faire because... No, in I, would, I wasn't I know, trying to say you were. No, but I'm just saying for me, right. these are things that I've searched deeply in over the course of my life and still are. 
Um, but for me, as I, I realize, as I dig deeply into God's word, that I may not ever be able to connect the dots of these two things. Yeah. I'm going to dig deeply in both, and I'm, I have landed somewhere, yeah. just like you. Right. Um, you know, I we hold very similar views as far yeah, as I yeah. can tell most places. Right. But what I'm saying is the the human nature of saying, I have to I have to reconcile these two things together is not the great not that I'm not studying to show myself approved I have but I can't find biblical precedent to put a period at the end of one of these things yeah. and so for me I'm just going to keep proclaiming the gospel yeah. I'm going to keep holding to the surety of my salvation I'm going to preach like I just did a few weeks ago on election yeah. I'm going to preach on uh, God's sovereign choice I'm going to preach those things they're in the Bible yeah. but I'm also not going to add that's where it really gets messy is to make one thing reconcile to the other we build a little human bridge and what, that's, I'm not following you what do you mean what I mean is like when I'm when I'm preaching about the gospel and I'm preaching about um, the sovereignty of God, because it seems like because these things are close together, because of this, this means this. I'm going to build the little bridge with something that's not in Scripture. Gotcha. To make myself feel comfortable like I've landed somewhere, yeah. I'm not going to allow myself to do that. Yeah. I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to... I'm not going to add a period in, or in a place to, to where the Bible hasn't done it. And I'm saying I'm willing to live in... And that tension doesn't mean it's for the rest of my life. Maybe, maybe I'm just in tension about it for now. In ten years from now, I'll be able to say no. I, I, I definitely. Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's a good place to land. We're about done with our thirty minutes here today. I would just add one quick thing. Uh, the scripture comes to mind where David said, "You know, I, I don't occupy my mind with things too high for me." And and so there are certain things that I go like, "Okay, I'm not going to really able to reconcile all these things, but I'm not going to allow that." But I will occupy with my mind things that God has called me to handle, and so. If you, know, you said you just preached on election, you know, there's dozens of times the word election is used in there. And just to say, oh, I don't want to get into that controversy right. is, is, is doing disservice and foolish, disservice to the Scripture and to God who wrote the Scripture. So thank you, Joshua. Appreciate your wise insight again today. And we'll continue our series. A few more weeks left on uh, the fascinating, life-altering Word of God. We pray that we just haven't filled your head with information. We pray that you're actually seeing some life-altering uh, realities take place in your life and you're seeing yourself uh, once again wholly, fully, thoroughly fascinated by the Word of God that it's not dry, it's not dead, it's it's not lifeless. It is it is the sharp, powerful, two-edged sword. So thanks for joining us. Look forward to seeing you next time. If you're enjoying the podcast but want to dig deeper, both Gary and Joshua have books that you can buy right now on our online store. Go to worldchallenge.org and click on the store tab at the top of the page. There you'll find books written by David Wilkerson, Gary Wilkerson, Joshua West, and others as well. Check it out today. If you enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to do two things. First, share this with someone else. Second, click on the subscribe or follow button on whatever app you're using to listen to the show. That way you get notified when we release a new episode. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you next time.